Good morning, brethren. <clears throat> and um, thank you for the opportunity to come back to Claremont and share with you um, from Scripture what um, um, I've been thinking about and reading for some time. We're going to read from Romans, and if we get enough time, we'll read from other, other scriptures. <clears throat> Romans and chapter 5, it's a, a verse that we know very well, chapter 5 and verse chapter 5 and verses uh, 18 and 19. Um, but probably before we read that, uh, those two verses, we may want to read uh, Romans 3, verse 23. And um, this is a very familiar verse as well. Uh, before we read the Lord's word, shall we just bow in a short word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank the for this time when we can look through your word. Father, we pray that all that will be said and thought of and done in this meeting will be to the glory and honor of your name. We pray that as the Lord did break bread by the Sea of Galilee, so today the Holy Spirit will break forth that word of life. We pray that he would feed us we pray that we take this word and share it with um, our friends and other saints who would have loved to be here but could not be here for various reasons. We commit this meeting before thee, O oh God. We just pray that your name will be glorified. For we pray and ask in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Um, I'll probably start from verse 21 just to get the context within which this verse is um, appearing. In verse, starting from verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. And that's a key verse, a key phrase there. There is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Our interest is in verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if you go back to uh, the verses we wanted to read, chapter 5 of Romans, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, 
the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Um, <clears throat> First we need to understand how it is that uh, one man sinned and then the entire human race uh, is considered as sinners. Um, we need to understand that. And then <clears throat> we also need to understand how it is that one man dies on the cross of Calvary and <clears throat> he brings righteousness to all. We need to understand that so that we can indeed be sure that really when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, I am also a sinner because of that. And we also need to appreciate, at least be confident that when someone dies on the cross, indeed he took your sins and my sins. And when he died, um, <clears throat> according to Romans 7, um, the law no longer had demands for justice concerning my sins. So, but to go back to Eden, we see that um, um, God had just made Adam, and he's just there a lump of clay. There's no life in him. Adam becomes alive only when God breathes in the soul or the spirit in him. That is when Adam becomes alive, and you know, suddenly he jumps up, and he looks around, and there are birds on trees and apples, and then he goes and starts eating. And, but before God breathes in the soul, Adam is simply a lump of clay. It's just a body that was made. Um, today, when we look at ourselves, we are made up of two parts. We have the body, which you can see, it's here standing. Uh, some of the bodies are seated down there. But there's also the soul, the one that is alive in you, that gives you the personality. In that soul, the so-called immaterial part of man, we have some psychological components, where you see the knowledge, memory, and all the other things. But also there's a spiritual component where you have, um, uh, you have the free will, you have the conscious to choose what is right and what is wrong. Adam had been made, he had the body and the soul, and Satan entered the Garden of Eden and planted the seed in Adam's soul, the immaterial part. And so every child, every person that has come out of Adam has come out of Adam with two things, the body of Adam and the soul that was breathed into him. That's how we're alive today. If Adam suddenly opens the door and stands in the doorway there, 
Um, he would look like us. Adam would look perhaps like me, with two legs, two hands, with one head. And he'll have a soul. He'll be alive, a live person like me. I have gotten everything from Adam. The body and the immaterial part. But that immaterial part has come with a sinful nature. That is why uh, when a child is born today, the, you don't need to take the child to a class to be taught how to lie, to be taught how to steal, to be taught how to be, uh, to be bad. It comes with that package, the selfishness of man. We are all sinners because by natural propagation, we have obtained everything from Adam, the body and the immaterial component, which has come with that sin in us. We are believers and uh, we want to do the right things for God and for fellow man. But as Brother Sam preached many years ago about the old man, there is that old man who comes up once in a while and just draws us back. Today, if you go to the prisons, you find men and women who are very good, loving fathers, but they've, still, they've yet uh, committed heinous crimes. The believers who do a lot of uh, bad stuff, we are saved, but the old man, is still in us. That sinful component is still in us. And we long for a day when the Lord shall appear and that sinful component in man will be taken away and we shall be free. We shall be free. So by the fact that we are born, we are born with both the body and the sinful nature in us. And so, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men, Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Yes, the fact that you are born, you are a sinner. And you cannot save yourself. If you want to save yourself, try to go back into the inner self and cut away that sinful component that Satan planted in man. But you cannot do that. And that's why somebody now had to come and die for us. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon men unto justification of life. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. God looked down upon man to see if anybody was righteous. And scripture tells us there's no, no one was righteous at all. Our righteousness was like filthy rags. You know, sometimes we try to be good. That, you know, I'm a good man. I'm a good person. I do good things. Uh, yeah, scripture tells us even that goodness is just like filthy rags before God. No man can save himself. No man can save himself. You can search the whole world. Not Abraham 
could save mankind. You know, all the great patriots of the Old Testament, none of them could save mankind. It had to take God himself. God himself came out of himself in the form of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he was born in Bethlehem. And he was laid down there in a manger. And so when we see the Lord in that manger there, we are not just seeing an ordinary baby. We are seeing the manifestation of God himself. You see, <clears throat> of all the religions in the world, and I usually like talking about the Hindus because these guys have so many gods and so many trinities. Um, of all the religions in the world, you can dare them today and say, you know, you have prayed to this God and this God. Show us that he exists and he is alive. And there's nobody who can show you an existing living God except for us. When you see the baby lying in the manger there, you are seeing you are seeing God himself telling us that, hey, I am alive and you can see me in this body. And when the Lord Jesus Christ grew up, you could see in him the, div the, the divine side. The, um, if he's walking across and you're following him, you see the divinity and the uh, human nature, the divine nature and the human nature. He would say, I fast. God cannot thirst. That's the human nature. But he would say that he knows everything. It's only God who knows everything. So you can follow him and see that. There is no other religion. And Christmas is a great time when we celebrate the birth of Christ. But it is also a time when actually God has taught us, I am the living God. I live and I am. No other God can tell, you, can tell you that. But no one could save himself. <clears throat> so God took the initiative and sent his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and was born in Bethlehem. The shepherds out in the field, the angels open up heaven, and they say that this is the savior, the savior, the savior of the world. That was his main preoccupation, is to save mankind. That was his preoccupation. And when the Lord is growing up, he is getting ready for that week of sufferings when he will be on the cross. You know, there are a lot of prophecies from Genesis were told, the seed of the woman that shall bruise the serpent's head. You get to Isaiah, you are told of the one who bore our sins by whose stripes were healed. Surely uh, he, he has borne our sorrows and our griefs. The Lord has laid upon him 
the iniquity of us all. And there's so many other prophecies. But all these, they do not tell us exactly when the Lord has put our sins on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only when we go to Calvary and he's hanging there on the cross and then he cries out those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that point, then we know that indeed God had laid our sins upon him. There was no reason for the Lord, for God the Father to forsake his son, except for one thing. When our sins were laid upon him, the Father would not even look upon his son. He would turn away and forsake the son. And the son would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For us, that is a signal that truly my sins and your sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely he has borne our sorrows. He's borne our griefs. That is proof for us that now our sins were upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I was hanging on the cross, shed his precious blood for us. And if you go to the, to the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus in particular, there God says that you know, no one should eat the blood because the life of an animal is in the blood. And when we come back to Hebrews, I think chapter 9, we're reminded that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And our Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross and shedding his precious blood for us. But, you know, it's not just shedding the blood. It is shedding blood unto death. If you go back to the Old Testament, when they bring in um, the two gods uh, to the high priest, to Aaron, um, the blood of the goat whose blood is going to be sprinkled on the mercy seat, they didn't just cut a, cut a piece and let the animal go. You cut the goat to death. And when the goat had died and you take that blood, uh, Aaron would take that blood and go into the holy of holies and sprinkle the blood seven times on the mercy seat. The, the God had to die. It didn't have to be injured. It needed to die. So when we see the Lord Jesus, when we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his precious blood, we're speaking of the Lord shedding the blood unto death. He had to die. He had to die. That is when God's wrath upon you and upon me would be satisfied. It's shedding the blood unto death. 
It's not that the Lord would have hung there and then, you know, he sheds some blood and then come off, comes off the cross. He had to go all the way into death, just the same way that the symbols in the Old Testament had to die. And when the Lord had died, he would appear, as the hymn writer says, um, there in righteousness transcendent, Lord, he doth in heaven appear and shows the blood of his atonement as thy title to be there. The Lord ascends into heaven and shows the blood that this is the blood that I shed for the remission of, their, of the people's sins. And I died. And because I died, according to Romans chapter 7 and verse 1, the law no longer had demands upon him for bearing those sins. And when he died with our sins, the law no longer has claim upon us. That is why we are free. Because the law cannot claim anything against us because the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins, paid the full penalty, and died. But not only did he die, but he rose again, and he now lives in the power of an endless life. We await for that time. Uh, you know, um, my mind usually goes back to, to the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, very wealthy, a woman queen in Africa. Um, she had head. Uh, she had head of Solomon's um, wealth and wisdom, but much more. She has. She had held. She had head about Solomon and the house of the Lord. That's what Scripture says. And the house of the Lord. And she took a trip with the great train. She goes to Jerusalem and meets Solomon. And after many days of feasts and uh, you know, political um, meets and everything else, she stands up to speak. And she says that, you know, I heard of your wisdom and I heard of your knowledge. When I look at all the arrangements that you have, the half was not told. For thy fame exceedest all the things that I ever heard. That's what it's going to be for us. Um, sometimes we think that we understand the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he loved us and gave himself for us. Sometimes we understand, uh, we, we think that we understand the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when that moment comes, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and suddenly we awake, we will remember the words of the Queen of Sheba. The half was not told. For thy fame and thy greatness exceedest all the things that we ever heard. That at least I know to be my portion. You see, when you have a glimpse of heaven above, um, Revelation chapter 5, the Father is seated on the throne with the book in his hand, and this mighty angel goes around and shouts, who is worthy to take the book from 
the father's hand. And there was no man who was worthy to do that. And John begins to weep. And then one of the elders uh, whispers to John, hey, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he's ready to take the scroll from the father's hand. And then this lamb appears as it were just freshly slain. And he takes the book, the scroll from the father's hand. The reaction um, from the people who were around, the moment he took the book, everybody fell down. And they broke into the praise. For thou art worthy <clears throat> to receive power and glory and majesty, for thou wast slain. And after the 24 elders fell down, it says, now everybody in heaven now breaks into praise for our God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, you see that the whole world, everything under the sun and below this, the, the earth, everything breaks forth to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot wait for that time when every knee would bow before our Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord and King of Kings. That is the one who came by whose righteousness we are righteous. He is the one who was made sin for us so that we can have the righteousness of God himself. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All without distinction. Because, you know, you and I are alike. You know, um, whether I'm Chinese, whether I'm uh, Latino, whether I'm Canadian or Eskimo, we are the same. What, what's different about us is only the outside, but everything else is the same. I have the same soul that an Eskimo has, the same sinful nature that, and that's why every country in this world has prisons, because in every country we're all sinners, so we deserve to go to prison. There's no distinction. We are all sinners. But in terms of composition, we are the same. And that's why there should be no discrimination on the basis of race, on the basis of, uh, uh, of gender. Um, women are not less human than men. We are just the same. And we're all sinners for whom Christ died. We await for that time, as I said, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, when we shall rise and we shall see our Lord for the first time. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man, of one shall many be made righteous. Let us turn to Philippians and chapter 2. Philippians and chapter 2. <clears throat> Start 
starting from verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient unto death. He became obedient so that he could accomplish the work of redemption. And redemption is where the price for your sin and for my sin was paid. This man here, our Lord Jesus Christ, became obedient. Um, <clears throat> the gravity doesn't sink in until you understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Uh, we're supposed to go up to 12, right? Yes? Okay, all right. The gravity doesn't sink in until we understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This man who became obedient unto death is he's supposed to be immortal. He's not supposed to die in the first place, right? He is God, so he cannot die, but he died. This one who was hung on the cross, well, he's supposed to be all-powerful, right? Nobody can handle him. Nobody can nail him to the cross because he's all-powerful. He can come off or he can just kill everybody off like Samson. But, well, he was hung on the cross and this is a deep mystery that the immortal dies, that the creator is handled by the creatures and he is nailed to the cross. He the only way that that could happen is if he humbled himself and became obedient to God's plan of salvation for man. That is the only way that the Son of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ, could be nailed to the cross. You know, if you go to verse 7, it says he made himself of no reputation and uh, we fight day and night for the literal reputation we have that is left. And uh, we, uh, uh, we, we try to defend our reputation so that our names are, are, not, are not soiled, so to say. Uh, and here, the Lord Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. He allowed men to spat upon him. Um, if I spat upon Esther, I would probably be the last time I would be in that house. Uh, but the Lord was spat upon and he just humbled himself. And people slapped him, pulled the beard. They 
flogged him, and he was just there. You know, I, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. But the Lord humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. He was nothing. He was the song of the drunkards, as the scripture says. That is God himself who was being spat upon. That is God himself who had come to save man and man had turned around and nailed him to the cross. He humbled himself, made himself of honor, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. It is a degradation for the Lord Jesus Christ to be made in the likeness of man. He was made a little lower than the angels. This is the one, if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, and you see him there, seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and all these seraphims and cherubim, the high angels who guard the throne and the presence of God, they could not even look upon him. Scripture says, with two wings they covered their faces. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with the two wings, they did fly around. And they did not stop crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That same one is the one who is being spat upon by man. He's the one who is nailed to the cross. He humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. When we shall see him, uh, we shall see him not as a humble person. We shall see him in his power and in his glory and in his majesty. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. When we shall see him in his power and majesty and glory, we shall bow ourselves in worship for who he is and for what he has done for us. But let us think of how much he loved us in that he loved us so much, humbled himself, became of no reputation, and suffered and died for our sins. But scripture also speaks of making himself um, the form of a servant. I don't know that I've said this before here, but in my, um, my culture, if I am king and I have a slave and I die, um, they dig the grave going down and then they go sideways because I cannot be buried lying flat. I have to be buried seated up. And if I have to be buried seated up, then one of my slaves has to go with me. He has to hold me while I'm seated and then they'll bury and the slave will die as well with me. When we speak of the Lord being a servant, um, he came 
to save us because we could not save ourselves. He came to redeem us because we could not redeem ourselves. He came so that he can restore us. He can restore, as Psalm 69 verse 4 says, he can restore that which he took not away. And in his death and resurrection, he restored that Edenic relationship that we had with God. That is why today we can cry to him as Abba Father, because he gave us back the relationship which Adam had with God. He loved us so much, came and gave himself for us. So I hope that uh, we have a little idea at least how it is that Adam sinned and everybody else is a sinner. And how is it that Christ died on the cross and he bore the sins of everybody. And now we are righteous before God. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we, we thank thee for the time spent in your presence. We thank thee for the word. That reminds us that we are all sinners. Yet we thank thee that there was one who was willing to die in which one of us did, that so so unworthy might live. And the path of the cross, he was willing to tread all the sins of our lives to forgive. They are nailed to the cross. They are nailed to the cross. Oh, how much he was willing to bear with what anguish and loss Jesus went to the cross, but he carried our sins with him there. Our Father, we thank thee that our sins, not in part but the whole, are nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit himself will bless us and will lead us from this assembly as we have come to the end of the meeting. We pray and trust that your name has been glorified. We pray that the saints have been edified. We pray again that thou, thou dismiss us with your blessings. For we pray and ask in and through the worthy and precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.